You're listening to the Dietitian Cafe RD2B podcast, brought to you by Nualtra. I'm Neve Lilliman and I'm a second year student dietitian. In today's episode, we will continue to explore the different dietetic specialities. And in light of the recent Eating Disorders Awareness Week from the 27th of February, we will be delving into the speciality of eating disorders. So it's estimated by the UK's eating disorder charity, BEAT, that 1.25 million people in the UK have an eating disorder of some form, which is a really shocking statistic, don't you think? So it seems only right that student dietitians understand more about eating disorders and the wonderful work that dietitians do in this space. To talk about all of this, we are joined by Beth Francois, a highly specialist eating disorders dietitian. Hi, Beth. Hi, Neve. how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good, thanks. Very excited to be here. Yeah, it's lovely to have you as our guest today. I'm really excited for this episode. Um, So before we get going, it'd be great if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, of course. Um, So obviously my name's Beth. I'm 28 and based in London at the moment. Um, And I've been working as a specialist eating disorders dietitian for kind of coming up to three years now, actually. Um, And then just in terms of kind of my studying background, so I've completed an undergrad in biomedical sciences um, before doing a master's in eating disorders and clinical nutrition, and then um, a postgrad diploma in dietetics, which I finished kind of early 2020. Okay, so you've had quite a journey then from like studying and, and work. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, feels like I took kind of like a, quite a long-winded route to dietetics, but got here in the end. Yeah, yeah, I hear a lot of stories about that. I always feel like mine is as well, and I'm like, oh... they always sound really rewarding so it sounds really good yeah so um yeah to start things off why eating disorders what led you to this this space really I think I think I'd always really been interested in the psychology around eating and the impact that that had on kind of people's food choices um and I think really even before I did my undergrad degree which would have been in 2012 Um, I'd had an interest in kind of mental health and eating disorders but I'd never really considered it as a career choice and I think I think mainly that's because I I wasn't really sure of the steps that you would need to take to get into that field or what a job role would even look like Um, so I think that's why it kind of I went kind of down a a different route initially Um, but I think the interest had been there for for quite a long time. Oh lovely so it was there before kind of dietetics became a thing then was it your eating disorders masters that because you did that before you did your dietetics didn't you so was it that that like brought you into dietetics or had you kind of thought about it before or yeah I think it's it's I feel like I almost did it the other way around to what people would expect because I know typically you kind of get into dietetics and then you kind of work out your area of speciality and then and then go from there Um, But yeah, I did do the eating disorders masters first. And I think that's because I knew my interest in eating disorders was there, but I wasn't really sure of what a job role within that would would look like. Um, And it wasn't really until I was on the masters that I realized that to work with eating disorders from a nutritional perspective, you really needed to be a qualified dietitian. Um, So I think about probably like a few months into that, I knew I would eventually go on to do a dietetics degree. Um, But I think by that point, I'd done quite a lot of studying so I did my master's straight after my undergrad so I was definitely ready to have a break from studying but I I knew really quite early on into the master's I would would then go on to do dietetics. Yeah it's quite an interesting kind of evolution like you know your study and it's it's nice that you were interested in it before you actually became a dietitian and you know you had the qualification did the study you know so you were quite sure that that's what you wanted to do. Um, I mean you said about knowing that you wanted to do dietetics because it was the only way you could work nutritionally is that what kind of led you to do dietetics or could you have gone down the nutrition route as well was there anything particular about dietetics I I think I think really the main thing for me was that I I think I more wanted to work from I guess like a clinical perspective and with unwell people and in hospital type settings um, and so that kind of led me more down the dietetics route because I, I could have stayed with nutrition and kind of um, pursued that with the clinical nutrition degree and eating disorders masters. 
Um, but I think I, I knew that I wanted to work in kind of more more clinical settings. Um, and so that's kind of what led, led me towards dietetics. Yeah, no, that's interesting. It, there's, it's quite a, I suppose it would be a very different space working as a nutritionist or a non-dietitian, if you like, in eating disorders compared to being a dietitian. Um, I, I guess the work is probably a lot, I suppose, deeper is not the right word. Is it a lot more in-depth working as a dietitian? I think so and I think I think as a dietitian there's more kind of scope for working with different types of individuals I think as a nutritionist in eating disorders you know the same as everybody's got to kind of know their scope of practice um so I think kind of you know working with disordered eating or people who want to maybe improve their relationship with food um is sort of one thing but then working with somebody kind of clinically diagnosed with an eating disorder who might need quite intense support um is another which i would say normally requires kind of a dietitian's input yeah no that's really interesting to hear um I think going on to your student dietitian journey on this podcast, we love hearing about them. Um, yeah, tell us about your time as a student dietitian. Where did you study and everything like that? It's so funny because it feels it feels like such a long time ago. Um, so I studied, so I was at King's College um, from 2018 to 2020. Uh, so it's quite strange because I, I literally finished just before um, COVID and like the first lockdown and everything. Oh, wow. <laughs> So it was it was really it was really weird because I then went straight into working as a dietitian and, and working with it within COVID was like the only thing I knew. Um, but yeah, I did the postgraduate diploma. So that was like around 18 months. So it was yeah. essentially exactly the same as a master's, but without the research project. Um, I really enjoyed the course. I think I think particularly because I had it was kind of the third degree that I'd done. And it felt like as I went through them, they were becoming more and more relevant and what I knew I wanted to do. Um, so it felt like everything I was studying was really interesting and very relevant. It was all kind of leading up to the place I wanted to get to. Um, it was definitely quite intense. I think my the Eating Disorders Masters was kind of two days a week. Um, it was full time, so kind of like, like nine to six lectures, but it was going to, to the Dietetics Masters, which was like five days a week and then um, placement which was even more intense so it did feel quite full-on um, I remember we had a lot of kind of like guest lecturers who were specialists in like their specific area so it felt like we were brought quite like up-to-date research mm. um, and it was the course was very centered around applying knowledge to specific patient groups rather than repeating the kind of nutrition and biochemistry material that I'd already learned so I liked the like very practical aspect of it um, and then obviously in terms of kind of placements, I, because it was, I was based in London. So I was, I had most of all my placements were in quite large hospital, London hospital trusts. Um, so I did get quite an experience of a, a really like wide range of specialist areas. Um, mm. but placements were definitely a steep learning curve. I, I remember being very stressed. <laughs> um, I think particularly during the third one. And I think, it's strange because I think there is this sort of pressure to kind of impress supervisors and the people around you because like you never know if they're going to be reading a job application from you in like the next however many months. Um, yeah, but I think I think the only aspects that felt a little bit frustrating for me, which was because I had already I knew my interest was eating disorders, and I think the lack of material and the learning in eating disorders specifically did feel a little bit disappointing. Mm. I'm glad you've been quite honest with that because I know I uh, we've sort of said it and I've sort of thought it before you know certain things particularly eating disorders it's not really covered is it um do you think that that's something that's not I don't know could be improved do we say about sort of dietetics degrees in general that there should be a foundation knowledge yeah I think there should be you know even if it's just just like a foundations of what what eating what dietetic treatment would entail with eating disorders because I remember we had one lecture um but I'm I'm pretty sure that was it the whole it was just kind of one a one hour mm -hmm. lecture um and you know amongst the people like my peers and the people I was studying with there was like a like an anxiety around what on earth do I do if I come yeah. across an eating disorder patient on like a ward or something um so I think I think it would definitely be helpful even if it was more just time spent on eating disorders rather than 
it, you know, it's it's difficult to say actually working with patients because it depends on who's on wards and placements and things like that. But I think just time and more lectures and more content would would definitely be helpful. Mm, I think because I mean, I don't know too much about, I suppose, the intervention for eating disorders, but I, I think it, there's not a lot that's well, I mean, I don't know whether I'll get tra- I'll get trained to know that either. But, you know, I remember being on placement and there was a I think it was a general outpatients clinic and I didn't sit in it but I remember hearing sort of the dietitians talk about it and they were saying oh yeah we just put them on um ONS and I was like is, is that what we do and it was like I think there's so much more to it but because there's not that that knowledge taught in the degrees it's it's something that's that's quite lacking um you reminded me actually about something um it was in our January episode with um Richard Allison so he's a sports dietitian um but he also works in eating disorders but he said that they're almost so linked he said because people aren't robots so even if you've got someone with like a gastro condition um you know because they can crop up that you know they can be quite linked can't they um the sort of gastro condition or sports like eating disorders can actually pop up anywhere no matter what speciality you're in um so yeah it sounds like it's something that should be you know or you know even if it's cpd opportunities outside for students to to learn more about should be more of yeah definitely i think i even that's reminding me of i remember on one of my placements working with um i think somebody who had um it was an oncology ward so some form of cancer and and mm-hmm. she had done a lot of reading about um you know sugar sugar breeding cancer and things like that and she was really really limiting what she was eating and even in that respect i was like this is really this is disordered eating um kind of and, and how oncology and her cancer diagnosis is kind of linked to that so it definitely crops up in like lots of different areas Mm, that's definitely something to consider then I mean hopefully later on the podcast we can talk about where we can learn more about it um but I suppose yeah let's learn from you so as an eating disorder dietitian what what eating disorders do you see I'd say generally the large majority of the kind of patients and clients I've worked with have a diagnosis of anorexia nervosa but it does that has really changed depending on the setting that I've been in so when I was working in an inpatient setting, that was predominantly anorexia. Um, but in daycare, and then particularly, um, I know we'll talk about this maybe a bit later, but particularly because I'm in a private service, there's definitely more of a mix of kind of bulimia, binge eating disorder, and atypical eating disorders. Um, and I think actually, the more you work in the field, you really get to see that most people don't necessarily fit the strict kind of criteria that's laid out for very specific diagnosis and 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 lots of people actually experience kind of a range of symptoms um and diagnosis often isn't kind of as clear cut as maybe as it's kind of laid out in kind of diagnostic criteria um Mm. and then i've done a, a small amount of freelance work as well privately um, and in that area, kind of definitely see more of what would be like a disordered eating picture as opposed to an eating disorder. Yeah, it sounds quite varied then. And, you know, in the way you work, it's will depend on the or the conditions that you see will depend on where you work. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I know you said there's not a, I said that no one fits a criteria of certain characteristics necessarily, but is there a certain demographic or type of kind of group that you, you find yourself working with more? Yeah, I think definitely there is a kind of a stereotype of an eating disorder and, you know, which tends to be kind of female, young, white. And I think that stereotype can often impact how people access services, um, whether they feel able to refer themselves to services, kind of what they're met with when they, you know, when they go to a GP, for example. So, and that often then filters through into who's getting through to treatment. So I definitely see more females um really pleased to see that males and eating disorders is the theme for eating disorders awareness week this year which i think is next week actually um and then age again kind of depends on the setting so i have worked specifically with children and adolescents so that would be under 18s um and now i work with 16 plus but that does tend to be generally kind of late teens to late 20s would probably be the main age age group so it there is kind of specific demographics that um are kind of come up more definitely yeah it's interesting you say about men coming forward more um as you say that is really good to see um in terms would you say that there's any um I suppose in terms of 
backgrounds or or um culture you know any kind of cultural influences that you find with eating disorders I think that they're in terms of kind of cultural background I think predominantly in treatment settings it tends to be um middle class white individuals but again this is it's very stereotyped and there are it's really important I've done a lot of work around this but it's not because other demographics aren't suffering with eating disorders it's just that we are very used to this stereotype and it's and the stereotype prevents people from stepping forward and taking help taking help because if if you don't see other people that look like you experiencing an eating disorder there will be kind of like um almost like an internalized bias that somebody that looks like me doesn't doesn't experience an eating disorder so I'm not going to reach out for help um so there's definitely kind of complex cultural kind of links and I think um there definitely needs to be more kind of work and awareness around how an eating disorder might present or show up in kind of different cultures and different demographics Mm, it sounds like there's a lot of work to be done in that space then um to try and break that break that barrier down for the people who don't feel like they they fit the bill um for treatment which it's sad really um in terms of I mean, it probably depends on workplace to workplace. Do you find yourself working with other professionals in kind of an MDT format um, at all? Yeah, I think really all the work that I've done in eating disorders has had like an MDT at its core. So I think because eating disorders are so complex and like multifaceted, it, you know, food and eating behavior is obviously an important aspect, but we know that the illness really isn't about the food. So having a dietitian is important, but there's, you know, there's no way that we can kind of work towards full recovery with just a dietitian and no other mm-hmm. input. So I'd say generally the types of kind of other roles that I'm used to working with would be um, psychiatrists, which tend to be kind of overseeing somebody's entire um, care. Um, and then a mix of kind of psychotherapists, psychologists, um, somatic therapists. So they do a lot of kind of like body work, um, okay. specialist doctors, and then um, family therapists, occupational therapists, um, nursing teams, like mental health nurses and social workers. And then particularly for kind of younger clients, when we're thinking about transitioning back to schools, I do a lot of work with kind of teachers um, and support and support in schools and things like that. I hadn't even comprehended that, actually. That sounds huge. I mean, I mean I've, I've been on a two week placement and an MDT and it was with a gastroenterologist and like gastro nurse or a nutrition nurse um and dietitians and I was like oh that's an MDT and that's just (laughs) bear in mind that it's actually so much bigger than that um and yeah and the social work and like not specific to healthcare there's so much more so that's really interesting um in terms of I suppose well anything not just MDTs but are there any challenges in your role that you think are unique to working in eating disorders like in a dietetic kind of perspective Mm -hmm. I think um, I, I think the main challenge that probably feels at least feels unique um, in the eating disorder field is that often I find myself kind of working with a group of clients who, particularly at kind of the be- beginning stages, um, may have like a very significant part that doesn't want to or finds it incredibly challenging to engage in the support or the treatment you're offering. Um, and I think in kind of other areas if a patient doesn't necessarily want to follow the advice to some extent it can sort of be left with them to consider or left open to them for when they feel ready um but with eating disorders we have to continue to work alongside the client and with the avoidant part for change to be possible so if you know if you know if a client came along and said I don't I don't feel able to do that I don't want to do this and I said okay well you don't have to I mean you'd literally would not get anywhere um I think a client actually wrote something to me recently that um and she outlines that an eating disorder dietitian has to sort of unite two juxtaposing worlds that are in conflict while still supporting the person at the center of it which i think just summarizes it really well and it's only really with building trust and not giving up that we can then move from being this representation of food which is like the scariest thing to them to being seen as an ally and someone that they can can rely on in the in their journey so I think that's probably the hardest thing or the the most challenging thing I think is that you're often met with kind of 
very conflicting parts or avoidant parts that aren't sure whether they want to engage yeah that's fascinating I mean it's listening to that it sounds quite daunting to be honest um do you find obviously I suppose it depends on the patient and their their level of I suppose resistance with it but do you find that that process has got easier for you over time in terms of your skill set to be able to do that I think it's got easier in kind of two aspects. I think one is I definitely feel on a practical level that I have more skills to be able to, I guess, I guess work with avoidance. I think I've got more kind of techniques of how to approach it. Um, But then also on the other side is that having the experience and knowing, you know, that I've been in that situation before and that it is possible to work through it in itself just helps with kind of confidence and not and not panicking and not not knowing what to do because I've, I've been there before so I think it's both kind of practical skills but also just time and having gone through it um already yeah no that's reassuring then that even if it's sort of challenging it's, it sounds a lot of experience based and you you learn learn as you go um obviously alongside your master's um so since graduating as a dietitian what organizations have you worked at um, so I've worked at a private inpatient um, service, which was for children and adolescents. And so it was it was a private service, but it's NHS contracted. So well over 90% of the patients there would have been under kind of NHS services. Um, and that's quite common in eating disorders because essentially there aren't enough NHS, NHS run um, inpatient services to provide all of the NHS patients that need inpatient services with support. Um, So they kind of contract private services to do that. And then at the moment I work for an app, like a private daycare service. um, And that's for individuals who are 16 plus. um, And that's kind of privately funded or um, through some medical insurance. And then recently kind of working more with NHS teams who again, are funding for their NHS clients to, to be there, but that's quite new. Um, and then, as I said, I kind of also had a, a brief, a very brief period of seeing clients privately myself in kind of freelance work. Okay. Um, so quite varied then. And when you said um, daycare, can I just clarify what you mean? Is that like just, is that like an outpatient setting? So in eating disorders, there's sort of like three tiers of treatment. So there's outpatient, which would be, might look like once weekly therapy, once weekly physical monitoring, once weekly dietitian, for example. Um, Then there's daycare, which is you attend, it depends on the service, but you may attend kind of five days a week from, I don't know, 10 till six and have all of your meals except breakfast and night snack, which would be at home. Um, So that's more kind of daycare, so it's slightly more intense. And then you have um, inpatient where it's kind of like residential and and staying overnight, essentially. Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't know that. That sounds quite, I don't know, it's unique to that speciality, but very different to lots of others. Mm -hmm. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I know you, I mean, it sounds like you've worked privately for most of it. Um, Mm -hmm. In terms of seeing NHS patients, even though it's private, NHS patients and private patients do you find that these settings differed in terms of how you can work with those patients I think you know of course there's differences in terms of what the overall treatment looks like um you know one kind of practical example is that within a kind with private clients there's very kind of set one-to-one slots of seeing the clients very regularly um whereas with the NHS patients it was more kind of being seen as needed um I think there's probably slightly more flexibility and scope for an individualized approach mm. working privately. Um, but I think it's quite tricky for me to tell how much of the difference comes from NHS versus private or whether it's inpatient versus daycare because the settings are also different. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think really the main difference that I've noticed is within kind of NHS environments, um, there, there may be a lot of patients there that aren't necessarily engaging or, or in treatment willingly. Um, whereas that's very different in kind of private support, which tends to be individuals who have sought sought treatment themselves. Um, and that that difference can definitely impact 
the way I have to work and then also what we would be kind of focusing on together yeah I mean so you can get NHS like employed by the NHS dietitians for eating disorders or is it are they all contracted no no you can so there's it tends to be more probably more outpatient um or CAMS which is the child and adolescent mental health services um and then there's a few of there are kind of a few NHS inpatient wards um I think more so with children adolescent wards that Mm. tends to be more private services there's less NHS ones of those and when you get to adults there NHS trusts tend to have kind of adult wards um for eating disorders Okay, no, it's great just to clarify this sort of thing because I, I mean I have I I don't know, so it's good to know and, and understand that because unless obviously like you know you said you weren't exposed to it much on the degree, um, mm-hmm. it's really good to hear you talk about that and help help us make sense of that. Um, mm-hmm. so in terms of your sort of qualifications, you spoke about your masters, um, but your experience as well. Um, in terms of when you applied to jobs in the private sector, are these different to these criteria are they different to like standard NHS requirements I think that you know in terms of like actual qualifications or experience I wouldn't say that it's any different mm-hmm. I think in some respects because you've got the banding scale with in the NHS yeah and that doesn't necessarily you know the private sector they might try and like kind of replicate that or look for similar things but there's probably possibly more scope for not necessarily having to have you know shown that you've been a band five for a certain amount of time you know shown like how you've moved up the scale so I don't know so an NHS job it might you know require you having been a band six dietitian within eating disorders for a period of time to apply for a certain job Um, but in my experience there seems to be kind of more leeway or it's not quite so clear-cut in the private sector I think that's interesting that surprised me actually I think there's this idea that private is for you know you've got to have like three master's degrees and 15 years experience and something that's just not well actually probably no one has maybe three people have three master's degrees I don't know and it it sounds like it's something that's really off limits but actually from, from what you say it's it's not always about that um yeah. yeah definitely I think I think because there's you know maybe you know assumptions around kind of private care and it being you know and don't get me wrong obviously private care has has benefits in terms of you know what the facilities that are available and what you can provide mm-hmm. but I think you know I don't think that it means you have to show that you're you know any better than you know you are that if you applied for an NHS role at all. Mm-hmm. That's reassuring because I think because eating disorders it's not as you say it's not as jobs aren't readily as as readily available in the NHS that actually there is there are jobs out there that you know doesn't there's no specific barriers necessarily that's going to stop you from from working in there so that's quite reassuring actually yeah definitely no I I totally agree so sort of going back to your training sorry we're going like to and from but I've just got so many (laughs) so you did your your master's degree in eating disorders how Mm. has this helped you in your career now I think it's definitely helped in terms of kind of being very clear evidence of my interests and knowledge in eating disorders I think it can be quite hard um there's probably people listening to this podcast who are like yes it is really hard but it Mm -hmm. it can be quite hard to show an interest in a speciality because to get your foot in the door to to get the experience to then show that you have the experience you have the interest and get the job that you want yeah. can be quite difficult so I think you know I, I do know that jobs have looked at it and they've and they've said oh you know, you've got the masters in, in eating disorders no that's really that's really good um and then and then also because the content in the dietetic story around eating disorders wasn't great um but if I, I like kind of rate where I feel like I've learned the most I'd probably practically working in actual experience is definitely by far at the top so I think I think it's like it's helped me but I don't think it's like the be all and end all if that makes sense no I get you're surprising me loads today it's like it's it's it's, that's that's quite interesting I think it's good about you saying it's sort of firmed your interest in it um but ultimately it's the experience that you 
that you get. That's that's quite interesting to know. And I suppose that leads me on to the next question. Is it essential to have a master's degree in eating disorders to, to do what you do? I, I would say like 100% not. I think... Okay. I think when I, I don't know what's the, if it's the case now, but when I applied to that master's degree in 2015, it was the only eating disorders masters in like in the country. Um, so it is, I don't, it's not like realistic at all to expect everyone that wants to work as an eating disorders dietitian or to have done, have done that degree. And realistically, most people won't. I think, I don't think it has like an indication of how good you can be as an eating disorders dietitian. And mm. And I, I think, you know, in any speciality, being a dietitian is one of those jobs where you can only learn so much in the classroom, like you have to get out there and, and do it. Um, and I think that's where most people or where I feel like I've got like the large majority of my experience and knowledge anyway. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like what you're saying. I mean, the master's degree sounded great from what you said. Um, but if you're going to do, let's say that specific master's, do it for your interest. Not, you know, don't you don't have to do it. Do it if that's what you want to do. Definitely, definitely. If, if you kind of want to increase your learning, I think, I think for me, because I, I hadn't done dietetics yet. One of the main things it was helpful for was because I, I don't, it's different for different universities, but for Kings, you had to have had a degree in nutrition to do the mm-hmm. dietetics masters. And had I not done the eating disorders masters, I would have had to do nutrition and then dietetics anyway. So mm-hmm. in that respect, obviously it helped me with being able to do the dietetics post-grad diploma. Um, I don't I don't know if I've explained that very well, but no, 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 you have definitely, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel like, oh, I need to, I need to get through this master's so that I can, if if you don't want to do it or if it's not feasible, it's not feasible for everybody to to fund or, you know, or to do a full master's on top of having already done a degree. No, no, that's it. And I think a lot of people want to pursue their interests, but it's just not feasible because they've, you know, they've got to go and work full time. They've got outside lives, and and doing a masters isn't isn't always, you know, feasible for everyone, as you said. So, are there any other, if if students are interested or graduates, are there any other courses or training that, you know, we can undertake to to learn more or even look at specialising in eating disorders in the future? Yeah, the BDA have. I, I always encourage people to start with the the BDA's introduction to mental health. I think mental health, learning disabilities and eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they also have an advanced one, which is good for if you've, if you've kind of newly started within an eating disorders role and um, the advanced one's quite good as well. Um, and then in terms of kind of when you're on placements or if you're working as kind of a band five dietitian, asking and like putting yourself out there to shadow or be part of, consultations if you know that there are you know eating disorder patients on wards and um, there will always be eating disorder patients in general hospitals so and mm. that can be a really good way of kind of showing interest or you know if you're going to interview and you're able to talk about a particular case of working with or seeing an eating disorder patient that can be really helpful um, and I, and there's often kind of opportunities to put together kind of a case study and present them as part of like a team or on placement as sort of learning um, mm. The charity Beat is also great. So they do um, a training that's called, I think it's called Beyond the Symptoms and that's targeted at healthcare professionals. And then they also have like a webinar series, which is is targeted for kind of professionals that might come across eating disorder client patients at like a first point of call. So um, I think dentists, which people are always really surprised about, but if somebody's purging, um, oh, this is on their teeth. Yeah, I've heard like it's quite common for dentists to pick that up first. Um, so dentists, dietitians, and and then another profession, and that's called "Would you know if your if your patient had an eating disorder?" Um, and I'm pretty sure you can just access those webinars online. I don't. I think um, through the Beat website. Um, oh, that's interesting. Okay, yeah. are they are they free or are they? Do we have to pay for them or the the Beat ones? I'm sure will be free because it's, I'm sure they are. Um, you might just have to register with them. I'm not hundred percent sure about the book beyond the symptoms one, but the, would you know if your patient had an eating disorder? I'm pretty sure it's just a free webinar series online. Um, there are more kind of webinar type things popping up. So um, Sarah Elder, who's another specialist eating disorders dietitian, mm-hmm. she's recently kind of started 
a really in-depth webinar series so she gets um you know other dietitians to come in so I'm, I'm actually going to one on tuesday which is um kind of gastro symptoms or gastro disorders and eating disorders mm-hmm. um and so those you have to pay for but it depends kind of if you're working um some kind of some places will pay for cpd opportunities um but they're they're another kind of way that i would kind of look at things um and then this might seem a bit random but i always i like to talk about this because it felt really invaluable to me which again it's not feasible for everybody it depends kind of what your time capacity is Mm. but um i actually worked as a healthcare assistant on an eating disorders ward um Mm. while i was doing the eating disorders masters which was like the best way really that I learned how to kind of understand and support somebody with an eating disorder Mm -hmm. um so that that's like another thing that I kind of put out there because people might not think about things like that yeah no there's a load of opportunities there um I mean I I, BDA one of that I suppose that makes sense because they do they do kind of do the introductory courses don't they but I had no idea about the beat training um or Sarah Elder's new training either so definitely worth looking into um so I mean, do you know about any sort of volunteering experience or where students can get kind of work experience? I know you said about kind of healthcare assistant and that's that's definitely one um, that people people can look into. Yeah, I think Beat, Beat again, they also have volunteering opportunities, um, mm-hmm. different kinds of things. Obviously, I think they have like a helpline, they have um, like peer support thing where you can, you know, you are in like email contact with somebody who's recovering Mm. that kind of thing um some dietitians who work freelance may have opportunities for things like blog post writing so I did quite a bit of of blog post writing for other dietitians um right at the beginning um and some for shadowing that can be more tricky because just because of patient confidentiality and obviously it's very sensitive but sometimes um dietitians able to kind of ask clients that you know, they might have worked with for a long time if they would feel okay for a student to um, to shadow them. Um, it's always worth re- reaching out. I know sometimes it can feel a bit kind of like intimidating sending an email or, or reaching out to somebody and asking, but I always, you know, what's the worst that's going to happen? Is they're going to say that it's not, it's not possible? Um, but I, I do know some people that have been able to do that. Yeah, sounds like putting yourself out there, whether it's volunteering or offering writing services and and things like that do you think that would be feasible feasible for students to do and say look let me try and help volunteer with writing or something writing is definitely a good place to start um because it kind of I found that it really forced me to 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 do a lot of reading and research um and it's it's also a really good way of getting your name out there as well I think um and there's, you know, there's lots of kind of different things that you could write blog posts on or for different different websites. I think sometimes even like content, um, creating content for social media and things. I know I know dietitians kind of look for for students or support with with that kind of stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. I think I mean, you've reminded me now, I see lots of things like this on social media, um, following dietitians. Um, and actually, yeah, sometimes they are asking for a student or anything like that. So probably mm-hmm keeping aware with what's going on on social media in terms of the dietitians would probably yeah, be for sure. the case for that yeah lovely so um what skills do you think are the most important for eating disorder dietitians to have I think the main thing that comes to mind is sort of like an ability to balance holding boundaries and challenging the eating disorder mm-hmm. alongside being sensitive and empathetic which is so hard to do and I I don't think I get it right all the time still (laughs) now um but I think without that kind of it feels like a constant dance almost and without that balance that like the therapeutic relationship can end up being quite negatively impacted so it can either be you know it becomes very punitive and 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 punishment centered which is really unhelpful Mm -hmm. um or or the other side is that we're not actually challenging the eating disorder and you can end up being kind of drawn into it, including with, with the eating disorder. And, you know, it's, I'm constantly, constantly throughout the day, every time I'm engaging with a client, trying to work out where that line is and holding that boundary. Yeah. It's got to be like 
on keeps you on your toes I guess doesn't it <laughs> always thinking and like it brings it back into that uh, patient-centered approach doesn't it you know it's going to be different for each each patient definitely yeah so I know you said your degree the dietetics degree I mean it didn't have a lot of eating disorder content but were there any parts of it that you find particularly relevant to your work now like the skill set they teach you or anything I think the main parts when I when I look back at kind of the content that feel most helpful is the communication aspect so Mm. I think we had a module that was I can't remember what it was called at the top of my head but was completely centered around how to communicate with patients Mm. effectively which is you know obviously important in in any special speciality but I think particularly in eating disorders when you're working with like a very therapeutic and like psychological framework um that kind of communication and motivational interviewing that type of thing has been really helpful and then and also placements I think you know I didn't I didn't work with eating disorders in any of my placements um particularly but I think just with confidence and learning how to like prioritize a caseload work in like a very busy environment and within an MDT uh was was like really really invaluable yeah it's so soft skills and it goes back to what you said about learning you learn probably most from experience rather than you you know the degrees and the education part of it definitely because I always think you know you can you can look things up in a textbook or read research papers throughout your whole you know if I I don't know something and I can't remember a a specific piece of knowledge off the top of my head I can read it um but it's the it's the it's yeah it's those soft skills really that you um that you I guess have to kind of like learn early on and and Mm. you know the the knowledge can be taught to anybody yeah yeah I think you know I I, it it does ring home really because I know I you know I think about if you know if you go to the doctors and there's nothing worse and even if you're there about I don't know I'm trying to think something I don't know spots or something and they're you know and they're not looking at you and they're just typing at the screen they're going okay 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 and there's nothing worse and it's it really puts you off so I can imagine that in a eating disorder setting where that emotional intelligence is so much more important you know it's important everywhere but it's so crucial to getting the job done and getting you know getting getting the right outcome for the patient and it's so crucial so yeah definitely that part of the degree sounds pretty relevant and you know the 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 you know the patients I work with obviously they will want to know that I know what I'm talking about and what I'm doing but the main thing that they're looking for is somebody that they can trust and feels like is trying to understand them. Um, that that's that's what they're seeking in the people that they're working with. Yeah, I mean, do you, have you ever come across patients where you've had to bring in kind of conflict management at all? Because I know we're taught a little bit about that. I think definitely had to. You know, there's been things where, you know, you might have had. I, I mean, I've definitely had conflict with with patients over kind of misunderstandings or eating disorders or people who have eating disorders tend to have very kind of strong inner critics um so you know when I say something to somebody I have a very I know what I mean or I think I know what I mean Um, and that same sentence can be interpreted completely differently by somebody who has really low self-value and yeah. so things that aren't criticism can really be felt as criticism. And so sometimes that can kind of create conflict in a, and like a rupture in the therapeutic relationship. And so it's conflict resolution is so important because it can feel much easier to be like, I'm just not even going to, I'm just going to ignore it and just we're going to move on. Um, but it's, it's really difficult to get past that. So we often kind of think about how are we going to sit down together, talk about how what I said made you feel, um, where did that miscommunication come from? How do we move on from this? Um, so definitely, definitely important. Yeah, yeah, because I think when we had to do for our placement NHS training um, and, you know, there's the data protection and, and safeguarding, but then there was conflict management. Um, and it was it was all about basically, you know, patients clenching their fists and, you know, threatening to punch you and things like that, which, I'm, you know, obviously they do happen. Um, but that isn't, you know, it isn't always like that. It's, it's that verbal aspect as well. It's not always a physical fight, the conflict um, yeah. being kind of talk, talk through it. Definitely. Yeah, it can be definitely much more subtle than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we've talked about skill set. Um, do you think there are certain qualities in a person um, that would suit or actually wouldn't suit working in eating disorders? 
I think I think empathy, kindness, and understanding is really, really crucial. Um, I think eating disorder sufferers often feel incredibly misunderstood um, or, you know, have a sense that they are a burden and mm. that what their or their thoughts and their behaviors are silly. Um, so I think being able to to meet them in in understanding where that's coming from whilst also holding, we need to challenge that. Um, I think you really need to be able to think outside the box and work quite flexibly. So I think if you're somebody that's very much like, what is the, like, what are the guidelines? I'm trying, I'm thinking of an example, but like, you know, in critical care, for example, where you're calculating somebody's energy requirements, it's very much like calculations, how much fat do they need? What very kind of like specific framework. And I think if you like working like that, eating disorders can be quite difficult because what works for one client is, completely different for another um and so I I find that I'm constantly trying to think outside the box and being thinking on my feet and being quite creative and adapting to different situations um so that's the main things I would say in terms of qualities Mm, no that's 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 really good and that's quite interesting about um you know being flexible and adaptable and I think it brings back the point about learning from experience um you know, you can't necessarily learn how to be flexible on a degree that is teaching you guidelines and how to do this, this and this. Um, yeah. So, yeah, definitely, you know, it goes back to what you said on placement. If, you know, there are any dis- eating disorder patients, it's let's go and let's go and see if we can get exposure there. Yeah, because I, I remember doing the, um, the like the ABCDE kind of assessment approach at, at uni was what we were taught. So kind of anthropology, biochemistry and very much when we would when we were taught to kind of do our notes it was very 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 structured and then I am and then I went into eating disorders and I was like oh this is naturally really relevant Um, yeah yeah yeah, like it it really it obviously like so important at the the point of learning to to have that structure um but it you you have to be quite I guess quite creative and and flexible away from those guidelines and eating disorders yeah yeah well I you've interested me there really when you said about sort of the ABCD and you know that's basically what every every condition you do you do ABCD or everything <laughs> like that um and yeah it sounds so different working in eating disorders and um it did take a lot of confidence to to move away from that that structure because I mean, that's quite daunting to me at the minute because that's all yeah I know. yeah I think I think I think so and I think once you once you realize you're almost you're you're almost you're still doing it you're still you know you're still thinking about like you're still thinking about all of those things mm-hmm. um but it's just in in a, in a looser way and I think once you realize actually that it's feeling a bit constraining and not allowing you to do what you what you want to do and just think about kind of letting go of it and trusting trusting yourself but I do think that comes with time because you have to be able to trust your own knowledge and you know and your ability to check everything that you need to and do do an assessment properly um you know obviously we use an assessment guideline but it the questions in it are just very very different um yeah do you find that a lot of the time you're not actually talking about food yes I think that somebody with an eating disorder will find it really really easy to talk about food all the time so food that they don't like food that they like um textures of food tastes of food but that's avoiding the actual things that need to be spoken about so I you know I'm apart from reviewing a meal plan and making suggestions for how that needs to change it's a lot about how is the food making you feel um how did the meal plan go at the weekend if it didn't go well what were the triggers what made what made doing the meals feel really difficult that that kind of thing so it's not it's not so much the food itself really Mm. yeah it's the psychology behind it yeah no okay lovely so I mean it sounds like such a different speciality and so many places you can go with it would you say it's a competitive part of dietetics to get into I wouldn't say it's competitive in terms of job opportunity. Mm. Um, I think, you know, when I've looked, it always seems that there's kind of a fair amount of of actual jobs available. I do think what can make it quite difficult is that it is a bit of a catch-22 in that jobs will often ask for experience, 
but almost to get the experience that you need you need to have experience but you can't get the experience because yes. it's just going around in circles a little bit so I think I think that aspect can be difficult but in terms of actual job availability I think it's pretty good yeah and when they're talking about experience are they talking about being an eating disorders dietitian or could it be like what you said working with beet or or anything like that I think in my I guess in my experience there will be some jobs that they might say on their application requires a minimum of a year working in eating disorders for example my advice would be to apply anyway if you've done all of those things and if you particularly if it's kind of an nhs band six role you've been a band five dietitian for a year whatever a year and a half Mm -hmm. if you've done all of those things if you're volunteering if you've done the bda introduction course if those types of things i think it's worth applying um because you know if somebody's you know asking for a, a band six dietitian expecting somebody to have had a year in eating disorders without having been a bad six dietitian almost doesn't make sense but there are jobs that do say that but I I do always say that I think it's worth applying um because I do think it's the interest that services are looking for yeah yeah it's like you said if you you know you don't know what's the worst that's going to happen is it's not feasible but yeah uh, in terms of where you, we look for jobs so you just said about NHS band six um are there any other particular organizations that students could possibly keep an eye out for in terms of jobs or types of organizations yeah I think think thinking about kind of um other those kind of private services um that are often NHS contracted so there, there's kind of bigger names out there um like the Priory for example Elysium Healthcare like there's those kinds of services that will have different eating disorder wards across the country um and so I think I guess often well what I found at when we when I was studying is that we were almost taught to look for jobs solely within the NHS like that was really what yeah um so it was almost I think it felt like it was almost either NHS or the food industry maybe um but if you're if you're just looking within that kind of NHS search box it will miss out potentially kind of Mm. other some some services may be able to get adverts through there but it it will miss out other opportunities so I think just keeping an eye on the private sector as well is quite important yeah I mean I've asked uh, guests this before but I mean it's I know you said you've not worked in the NHS necessarily as a dietitian do you think that working in the NHS let's say you just go in as your band five do you think that's essential to, I suppose, one, being an eating disorders dietitian, but actually being a dietitian altogether? I I feel like I probably got a biased opinion on this because I didn't I didn't do I didn't do that. And I, I remember getting to the end of my dietetics degree and I was essentially weighing up applying for kind of general band five roles or trying to go straight into eating disorders. Um I think it was it was a little bit different for me because I had worked as a dietetic assistant um, in an eating disorders role before, and so I knew that I could reach out to that service and 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 let them know that I'd qualified and see if they were looking for a dietitian. Um, and I weighed it up for ages, and my worry was, well, I'm not going to have the experience of having been a band five and had all of that general stuff under my belt. Mm-hmm. And and to be honest, I did I did think. I don't actually know how helpful that is going to be for me to be an eating disorders dietitian. And that's be- because eating disorders feel so different. Mm. You know, I thought I could be a band five for a year and a half and come across a handful of eating disorder patients on a ward. Mm. Um, but other than that, apart from kind of those so- softer skills and, you know, working within a hospital environment and those types of things, I didn't think it would... I didn't think I'd be any more equipped to be an eating to be an eating disorder dietitian, particularly mm. after having been a band five. Um, so that's kind of my my opinion on it. I think, um, particularly with eating disorders, I don't think it is necessary. I think if you really, really know that that's what you want to do, and you're in a position or the opportunity to go straight into it, um, then I think it's worth it. Mm. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting that it's quite 
different in eating disorders. I know a lot of students, they worry about it being that them closing themselves off to a load of jobs. They say, okay, if I go for some weight management job in, in private or something, they think, okay, what if I hate weight management? Um, so would you say it's more about if you are sure that's what you want to do, then, well, do you always still go for it kind of thing? Yeah, I think, I think if you're definitely sure, but also I think it's rare that you completely close yourself off to anything else. I know people that have gone in between different specialities and, you know, I don't think it's, it depends, but I don't, I think you could go from like weight management, you know, you might have to go to kind of more of a general ward for a bit, but then go to something else. I think, I think I remember overthinking a lot essentially. And I would encourage people not to, to try and think about the here and now rather than, but what is that going to mean for me in 10 years time? Um, Cause I think it can, can make us overthink decisions that we might, we might be taking. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when sort of your, I suppose you're taught that NHS is the only way. And then you hear different things with different dietitians say, Oh no, it's actually not. And um, so it's so confusing, but it's good to hear your insight on it. Um, you know, that actually both options can work well for both, you know, for, for everybody. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So I suppose it's kind of the penultimate question, but, um, how can students start to make themselves stand out? So we talked about experience and volunteering, but is there anything else that, that you that you would that you would say? I think as well as kind of like the practical webinar type things, I think reading up to date kind of guidelines um, mm-hmm. is really helpful. So, you know, the BDA have some um I think there's another there's there's lots of kind of information out there. So even things like I think the new guidelines for medical management of eating disorders is called MEAD. Um, and really any dietitian working in a general hospital should be familiar with that because it's it's about, it's for medical wards to know how to manage eating disorder patients. Um, so I think showing that you've done kind of reading in the area is particularly for interviews and things really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really think the main thing is to not put too much pressure on yourself in terms of the practical and being able to show because there's not going to be an expectation that you have all the knowledge and experience of somebody that has worked in eating disorders for years. That's just, it's impossible. Um, I really think that the main interest that I've seen when people are looking to hire people is an interest and a passion and being personable and having good communication skills. Um, I think particularly for kind of an entry level specialist ED role, I think if you can show those and you've, you've got kind of a good chance. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, I mean, that's beautifully said really that don't put too much pressure on yourself. I think that's something we're, we're all guilty of, isn't it? Um, I mean, you've probably already answered this question. I was going to say, what's one last piece of advice if you have any more advice at all um, that you could give to future eating disorder dietitians? I think it can be, I think I'm going to centre my advice around, it can be a really, really hard role. Um, Mm. And so there will be moments where your patients or your clients are holding what feels like so much anger and distress directed towards you and what you might be asking them to do. And it will make you question so much about yourself and your ability to mm. do the job, but they're the exact moments that in in my experience, patients look back on as times where they learn the most about themselves and their eating disorder. And they'll see those moments as crucial points in their recovery. So just remembering that the work can feel so, so hard, but so worth it. And they're the, they're the moments that your clients will thank you for in the future yeah take it in your stride almost definitely yeah well that brings us to the end of our chat today then Beth thank you so much for coming on and being our guest today thank you so much for having me I really enjoyed that actually I haven't haven't it's just even reflecting on being a student again was quite nice (laughs) yeah it's it's nice to to sort of reminisce isn't it and and think about so the old times is not the old times it was like 2018 (laughs) um but it does feel like that after Covid now doesn't it um But yeah, thank you. You've given such a fantastic insight into working as an eating disorder dietitian um, and you've shared such valuable advice to listeners. Um, It truly sounds like it's a challenging yet equally rewarding branch of dietetics. Definitely, definitely. Rewarding is always, always the word that I use and I hold on to when it feels hard. Yeah. 
Lovely. So if you would like to learn more about eating disorders, take a look at the show notes where you'll find a variety of resources. So now it's time for some info to go with Meg. Thanks, Neve. Hi, everyone, and welcome to info to go Last month, I asked if any international student listeners would be able to share their experiences of what you love about being an international student, what challenges you have faced, and what made you decide to study in the UK. I will be sharing these responses in the next episode of the podcast, so there is still time to share your experiences by messaging the New Ultra Instagram page or emailing me on newultrapodcast at hrscommunications.com. It will be great to hear from as many of you as possible, as sharing experiences is a great way of helping out other current and future dietetic students. Now onto a topic which ties in with today's episode interview. Many of you may have heard about the mandates around calorie labelling on menus following its introduction in April 2022. You may also have heard the main Dietitian Cafe episode all about this topic in December. The mandate means that all businesses with over 250 employees now have to display the calorie contents of their food on their menus. This has led to a lot of discussion about what benefits calorie labelling may have and the damaging impact that it could have on people who have or are recovering from an eating disorder. Therefore, as it is Eating Disorder Awareness Month, I'd like to ask you to just think about how the calorie labelling laws have impacted you. Do you notice them when you eat out and do they have an impact on what you order? Do you find that because you are now, they are now visible, people around you are also more aware of them and also more conscious of what they're eating? And then I'd like you to think about the ways that this new calorie labelling may be both beneficial and harmful to different people. I think as dietetic students, it's important that we consider large-scale public health schemes like the calorie mandate and try to consider how it may impact different people in different ways. I will link the government guidance on this topic in the show notes for anyone who is interested in giving it a read. I will also put a link to the BEAT website in the show notes. BEAT are the UK's eating disorder charity and on their website they provide advice for eating out with calorie labelling. I'll also have a link to the recent Dietitian Cafe podcast episode with dietitians Sarah Fuller and Deep T. Lumber all about this topic. This month's follow recommendations. You can find today's guest, Beth Francois, at The ED Dietitian on Instagram. I would also recommend following Sarah Elder, who's at Sarah Elder Nutrition, as she is an eating disorder dietitian at Renutrition. I'd also recommend Sophie Corbett, who's at Corn the Cob on Instagram, and she's a freelance eating disorder dietitian sharing lots of educational reels. Jennifer Lowe at dietitian underscore Jen underscore is an eating disorder dietitian who has also appeared on, the, on an episode of the Main Dietitian Cafe alongside Priya Chu at Priya underscore Chu, where, you can, where they discussed emerging diet trends. So I'll leave the link for that episode in the show notes too, if you'd like to give it a listen. For this month's CPD opportunities, I would recommend having a look on my NutriWeb, as recently they have had some really interesting webinars, which have been recorded and are now available to watch anytime. If, if disordered eating or eating disorders is an area of interest to you, then I'd really recommend watching the ARFID webinar with Claire Thornton Wood. ARFID stands for Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder, and is a mental health and behaviour disorder that was only officially recognised in 2013 and can have a significant impact on the nutritional intake. So it is an important condition to be aware of and learn more about. In addition to this, I would also recommend that you do your own research into other less well-known mental disorders like ARFID that maybe impact a person's eating habits. Aside from this topic of eating disorders, my NutriWeb also have a journal club recording with Prof Jane Odgan and Dr Caroline Charles, which I'll re I'd recommend checking out. They review health messaging around COVID-19 and obesity to determine whether it's actually motivating or more stigmatizing. This is a concept that is useful to take forward into your own practice, and I would encourage you to always think critically about public health messages and promotions that you see and consider whether the message is actually going to help the people that it's targeting. Coming up in the next month, April is Stress Awareness Month. 
Stress Awareness Month has been raising awareness of the causes and cures for stress ever since April in 1992. The aim of this month is to open up conversations around stress and the impact that it can have and removing the guilt and stigma of mental health. This year's theme is all about going beyond talking and campaigning and taking personal responsibility to create a positive change. That's why the Stress Management Society are encouraging everyone to take part in their 30-day challenge where you choose one action for your physical, mental and emotional well-being to carry out every day of April, since it takes 30 days to action habits. To sign up to the 30-day challenge or to learn more about, the, about stress and ways you can raise awareness of it, head over to the Stress Management Society website, which I will link in the show notes. On the 23rd of March, Ramadan will begin and Muslims across the globe will be fasting during the daylight hours until the 21st of April. Ramadan is a period of heightened devotion and worship for the Muslim community, so fasting allows Muslims to be devoted to their faith. Meals may be eaten just before sunrise and just after sunset, and then daylight hours will be spent fasting from all foods and water. As future dietitians, it's really important that we educate ourselves on religious events like Ramadan to ensure that we are able to help our patients in line with their beliefs and wishes. So I would really encourage you to learn more about Ramadan and other religious traditions during this month. I will attach a link to the Muslim Council of Britain website discussing this year's Ramadan as a good starting place to learn more. For more information about anything that I've mentioned today, please check out the show notes. And if you know of any exciting CPD opportunities for students that are coming up or are getting involved in any of the activities or events that I have mentioned, then I'd love to hear from you and you can drop me an email at newultrapodcast at hrscommunications.com. And that is all the info to go for today's episode. So I'll hand back over to Neve in the main cafe. Thanks, Meg. I'm sure those resources are going to be so helpful to a lot of student dietitians. I'd like to say a huge thank you once again to New Ultra for making this podcast possible. If you enjoyed listening to this episode of the Dietitian Cafe RDTB podcast, consider subscribing and leaving a review or five-star rating so that we can reach even more RDTBs. You can also follow New Ultra on social media at New Ultra across all platforms to keep up to date with the podcast and hear the latest updates on medical nutrition. Thank you for listening and our next episode will be out soon.